nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun-packed, thrilling edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael, this week we have... Uh, the the late Baroness Paul de Carmichael, 1896 to 1977. Ah, yes, I remember that gravestone in Hale um, Churchyard very well. I used to go Absolutely, up there. Yes. When we were skimp, we used to drive up to that churchyard in Hale Village, you know, where the grave is of the Child of Hale. The Child of Hale, And people yeah, throw yeah. money on it. And when we were skimp, we used to go up there and just steal the money off the Child of <laughs> Hale's grave. So oh, there you go. We had a, yeah, we had friends who lived in Hale Village, and I was oh Hale Village sounds nice. You go around there, and it is a mansion, and wow. there is a swimming pool, and that was just pff, otherworldly stuff. I liked the old church most of all. Beautiful place, the swimming pool. Oh yeah, beautiful place. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think we could put Hale Village in the bracket of a nice thing, couldn't we? Well, Hale Village is a is a lovely thing. I think yes. that, that there's so many little areas, aren't there, around what I still think of as being Cheshire. Whether anybody yeah. else wishes to go, ooh, it's Merseyside now. No, originally Cheshire. So was that and originally so... Cheshire, yeah? It was, yeah. I didn't know that. I think. Okay. I could be talking complete balls there, of course. But the, the point stands that there yes. are these lovely little hinterlands and hooklands all around uh, the Cheshire area, aren't there? Which which leads me on to something, Mike, Ooh. actually. Oh, I it see. Does. Okay. Leads... Good, good, good. Which I... Yes, now then. And what it leads me on to is this. Last week, as you may recall, uh, we discussed uh, Pender's Fen. <laughs> and you not being one of Pender's fans. Me not being one of Pender's fans. Pender's yes. Fen starring Spencer Wanks, all about yes. his journey through teenage anger through towards Has more he been teenage in touch? anger. Because... <laughs> Spencer hasn't been in touch. Spencer, I would love to be in touch with you because talk about time slip. But I made a discovery, right, which I haven't told you about yet. So my main problem with Pender's Fen, of course, was the fact that it wasn't what was in my head. Yes. Pender's Fen is set, as I have told you, whether the Blu-ray shows it or not, Pender's Fen is set very much in Cheshire, obviously, set partly in Roman times as well, lovely. Yeah, and then of course it wasn't, and we 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 get this, and we get an hour and a half of me being confused on the sofa, thinking, "Why am I watching this boy not masturbate? <laughs> not really, no, no clue what's going on." And what I did want us to have a chat about this week was, you know, going to that folk horror sort mm. of stuff. Now, like you, I imagine I've got a to-watch pile, which yes. is quite. Hefty. A two-watch um, hard drive, which is even worse. That's it, the it's thing. It's just um, shock-a-block. This one is yes. two terabytes of loveliness I've seen. You, we won't live long ways. enough. You do get that. To watch it all. We, we simply won't. No, I do. I do. I do. And I'm so disappointed. There are there are series on my shelves, which I'm looking at. I mean, ah, I've got all 1,200 of those. Uh, I'm never going to watch them. Though. Never. I can't that's the that trouble in. with it, isn't it? Yeah, that's the problem. But the bigger problem, of course, is when you do set time aside to watch something yes. that then turns out to be not what's in your head. So yes. I, thought, I, do, I do want to talk about uh, folk horror this week. So let's look at the slush pile. Let's look at the... The Blu-rays, haven't got many of them. Look at the DVDs, for a few more of them. Yeah. And, and one stuck out to me. Go on. And it's this. All right, that's a new one on me. 
Redshift, uh, a film by Alan Garner. Redshift takes the viewer on a beguiling voyage through English history spanning three distinct time periods. Modern day, the English Civil War, and Roman Britain. Ah! With a lead character who looks... Uh, you won't be able to see him. I'll put a photo on the a old little, Twitter feed. I can see but, it a little. So is this uh, what has uh, done you in? Is this what you've got confused with? This is what I've got confused with. I've got confused and made you spend £15 on something I haven't seen ever right. before in my life about Spencer Banks masturbating, when in fact all I needed to do was watch something I bought several years ago and say, Mike, have a watch of that. Right. Ridiculous. See, Redshift sounds like a, one of those pornos you used to play on live TV, to be quite honest. And and Spencer <laughs> would have Redshift. Spencer's character would have enjoyed that, wouldn't he? You know, he would have absolutely loved that. I imagine. Uh, you but, see, if live uh, TV anyway. had existed in 1974, then Spencer's mm. character would have just waited for you know his his parson father and mother to go to bed, and then he'd whacked on live TV. And he'd have whacked off and he'd have been all right. That's all <laughs> it needed. So tell us there all, we're dying to know, was it any good? Red Shift? Yes. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, haven't no. had a chance. I haven't had a chance and I will... T- shall I tell you why? Yes, you because, shall. Because this morning... When I was thinking, oh, we're recording nice things today. Who shall I be this week? And right. I scri- scribbled down the late Baroness Paul de Carmichael, 1896 to 1977. And my immediate thought was, ah, poor girl, missed <laughs> out on Blake 7. <laughs> then I thought, however, unlucky girl, because she must have had to have watched Moonbase 3. Uh, do you know what? Before you said, when you were talking about shelves, Moonbase 3 popped into my head, and oh. I have wasted, what is it, nine hours? It's only six. six. In fact, it's less. It's five. Yeah. It's five hours. Right, so there, there are five hours that I could have sp- spent watching, I don't know, Redshift. You know, Anything. or something else. Yes. Isn't it the strangest, strangest bloody show? Because everything... Everything about that, the ingredients are all absolutely correct, aren't they? For it to be an absolutely classic, yeah. nice thing. Yeah. We've got we've got the fact that it's the BBC, we've got 1973, we've got Terence Dix and Barry Letts in yeah. charge. God, it's awful, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I, I don't know. I have a theory about that, and it involves Barry Letts being beardless. I don't think beardless Barry Letts produces good stuff. I could mm. be wrong. But, I mean, you know, I've seen sort of stills of Moonbase 3, you know, little bits and bobs up and down. It's like Barry Letts is, is suspiciously clean-shaven. Uh-huh. Now, I this, wonder. this theory no, go on, go on. Is, is is complete shit. So, you know, I'm sure someone will write in and go, actually, I'm sure you'll find that whilst they made the demons, Barry was indeed <laughs> beardless. I, d- I don't know, you know, because I think what we've got is an interesting thing, haven't we? You've got... Um, You've got Dix and Letts, who are both at a point where they've been doing Doctor Who for three three years now, and they know how the, how to do it. They, they yeah. can do it. So there is already that thought about maybe it's going to be time to move on soon. But I think what they should have done between season 10 and 11 of Doctor Who is gone on holiday, rather than think, what should we do to calm down Uncle Terence? And Uncle yeah. Terence says, let's make six... Hours of bureaucratic television set in space. It just 
does I wonder work. what the rationale work. is behind all that stuff. I mean, I know there's the beard thing. And the beard thing is is sort of like it's one of those interesting things. It's like John Poole out of Cardiacs once I was backstage and he was on about early uh, Genesis and he's like, it was no good after Collins had a shave. He's like, on those early records, you can hear the beard. And he's right. You can hear the beard. And I do wonder if the beard plays into this, but I do, I do think that potentially here you have one of those incidents whereby, remember we were saying TV by committee way back in the first one was a bad thing. Yeah. It's also yeah. a bad thing when people end up being very successful and allowed to do exactly what they want. I think we're seeing that with Ricky Gervais a little bit with series two of Afterlife. I think that it's kind of like it's getting to the point now with with that particular project at all. I'm a big fan of his anyway, but it's getting to the point with that particular project, I think, where he could do with some people going, maybe not that you know mm. but in in saying that the guy in it who for me i really love whatever he does um and his name's gone out of my head the dennis penis fella oh um uh paul k oh man i just he is just whatever he does his character as the psychiatrist the counselor in that is wonderful yeah he's just he real. I love him. He I is love him. Absolutely brilliant. He oh, is. he's superb. It's such a good cast that he's got that he has drawn together yeah. there, though, isn't it? It's a yeah. wonderful cast of and I think that you're right, that what you've got there is someone who is an auteur, someone who's got that absolute say over everything from the shoot to the edit and beyond. Yeah. Is it always a good thing? I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, with Moonbase so, three, I, it's mm. an. I think the phrase that fits what you're saying is an embarrassment of riches, and it, it's kind of like what can go wrong with that? And it's, I, I, I think it's like, is it Frontier in Space that spends the middle bit on the prison in, on the moon? Yeah, and that seems to me to be the same kind of territory for those guys. A little, a little test for them, maybe, yeah. to see if it would actually work for the a show. space It's possibly. Thing. Yeah, possibly it is that. I, mean, I think, for me, it possibly would work a little better Moonbase 3 if it weren't, if, if they'd employed some international actors rather than getting Ralph Bates to do his outrageous French accent. Yeah. Um, that, that, it's, it's he fine. He tried that out a few it. times, didn't he? He's, isn't isn't he Ralph did. Bates an outrageous French accent on Minder on the Orient Express? Yes, he is. <laughs> but he does look French, doesn't he? He does look French. He absolutely does. Garrick Hagen uh, is in there. Garrick Hagen, who's in The Mutants in Doctor Who, I right. think, as a bloody great big butterfly thing. He's in there with an outrageous Spanish accent. Right. But, yeah, I think that that's one circumstance where I would have said, when they'd have come to me as controller of BBC One and they said, we're knackered, we've just finished Doctor Who, uh, we want to do six episodes of this, I'd probably have said, gents, could you just go on holiday? Go to the Lake District yeah. or something. Take yeah. a few, take a month, come back, more Who, but let's just have a rest. Yes. You see, what it really needed was Gabrielle Drake in Spandex. Now, that would have that would have livened it up, wouldn't it? Um, wouldn't care what it was about. Was it contemporaneous with UFO, that, or was it... I suppose it would have been in the... I suppose... Because UFO is an odd one, isn't it? Because I, I grew up very much with Space 1999, very, very much mm. with it. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I read about uh, how Space 1999 had a very sporadic transmission schedule, didn't it? They it wasn't some, networked, I don't think, yeah. Yeah, they put some out one year and then one out and then some out another year. And mm. UFO, for me, came much later about... 
I think ITV were repeating it in the eighties, maybe on Saturday mornings as part of the, you know, schedule. Yeah. So I mean, UFO, I didn't really know a great deal about, apart from the brilliant theme tune. Well, the theme tune is absolutely brilliant. But it, and for me, it's head and shoulders over nineteen ninety nine. I say that as someone who has never watched a single episode of Space nineteen ninety nine. You haven't just, seen uh, Space nineteen ninety nine, right? No. That's unforgivable. No, I'm that's sorry. No, it looks American. It looks American. It, it isn't American. I'll tell you what it does. It fits into that strange band of transatlantic stuff that Lou Grade was very fond of making. You know, don't, ITC. don't use his name to try and make me no, be no, sympathetic no, no. to your No, 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 hear me course. out on this. Now, there is some complete and utter ITC dreck, right? I'll give you that. Yeah. There's some stuff that just, like the protect, the persuaders, which looks beautiful. Mm. It, it really does. And, I mean, what a cast. Mm. Tony Curtis and Roger Moore, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, wonderful. And, it, and there's yeah. cars and there's beautiful women and the landscape and everything. But... I mean, I couldn't eat a whole one. I don't know about you. <laughs> no, 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 I couldn't. But no, um, I think I watched the first episode when it was on TV Heaven with Frank Muir in 1992. Do you remember TV Heaven, where Frank they did those Muir? thirteen weeks? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. What not? year was that? So that's 1992. Ah, now and... you see, that's prime getting shit-faced times. That right. Okay, this is about the year before I'm getting shit-faced, so I was perfectly right. positioned for this. Right. And it was every Saturday night, either 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock on Channel 4, oh, and, right. okay. Frank, and Frank would introduce TV Heaven, which right. is where you would watch three hours of TV shows, and they have a specific year each year. You'd watch three hours of TV this shows. This sounds joyous. <laughs> oh, it was absolutely perfect. I'll tell you what the first... Um, time I ever saw The Lover, Pinter that was on TV Heaven right. in 1963 um, and I think that was the first time I saw the associated rediffusion spiral oh, ident yeah. in love instantly. But, well um, Frank Muir is a very nice thing Frank Muir's, yes he he's is. a very Absolutely. nice thing I mean growing up with I mean this is I think the the problem we have now with this country I don't think we have enough of those sort of cozy old boys knocking about on the mm. telly who instantly made yeah. you feel at ease and at home and and comfy I don't know I don't know do we have anyone like that on the telly now I don't watch telly so I wouldn't know um, I mean Gary Lineker's hardly Frank Muir is he Oh no, no. absolutely no, not common no. Very, very don't wish to watch him with his crisps. Yes. Um, no, I can't. I can't think of anyone like that now. Actually, nobody no. at all. You're nobody missing the football right now. By the way, is there is there a football? There is a football. Yes, yes, yes. It's missing you, dear. Oh, are we playing? Oh yes, Who? I believe so. Yes, yes. The Danish men. We're playing. As Danish? Yes. Uh, yes, yes. Good. Yes, it's a rerun this... of the 8th century, dear. Excellent. Is this, is this the UEFA's? It's 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 the UEFA's, uh, Flakes, and Mr. Whippy Ice Cream, <laughs> and all those things. It's 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 those things that, that real men watch, dear. They don't sit around oh. talking about Frank Muir and his pink no. bow ties. They <laughs> <laughs> should do. They should do. I agree. I think the I think the world would be a far happier place. Oh, it would. If we it all would. appreciated. 
You see, and that's, I think, that that's the side of me that tends toward, you know, there's certain things that I'm socialist on, there's certain things I'm conservative on. And when it comes mm. to conserving the memory of wonderful things like that, which is what we're about here, you know, I am very conservative on heritage and stuff like that. And I think that, mm. I think Frank, good old Frank, I think Frank deserves to be celebrated, don't you? Absolutely. Frank Muir, he was always there, wasn't he? Yeah. Throughout, throughout my childhood. Constantly there with Call My Bluff. Oh, God. I used to love that programme. That Just people being clever with words. My music? Oh. My music's a fantastic... And the geezer would sit down at the piano and they was like, Oh, yes, well, that'd be Flight of the Bumblebee. And it was just... <laughs> it was... I can't... I'll tell you what it was. I think the late 80s, they repeated my music on BBC Two. For some reason, they repeated him. Uh, Steve Race, wasn't it? I'm not sure on that one. So there was, a, there was like a Call My Bluff thing, but it was music instead. And it had Steve Race was the name I remember on it. And now he may have sat at the piano or whatever it was. But it was, <laughs> I mean, unless you had a degree in music history, you couldn't have got these questions right, mate. They were, mm. you know, it wasn't just, in what year did the Beatles release Sergeant Pepper? You know, <laughs> I mean, Frank wouldn't have, wouldn't have known that anyway. No, wouldn't have cared. No, it flies through the bumblebee. <laughs> Speaking of the but, year that the Beatles released Sergeant Pepper, this week's nice thing for me. Go on. Wow, Manuel. The, now, this isn't going to be George Michael, is it? No, it is not. It is not. Okay. It is Leo Baxendale's um, divergence from the Beatles. Uh, the mm. Beatles. The Beano. <laughs> uh, <laughs> everyone remembers where they were when Leo Baxendale left the Beatles. Um, um, yeah, Leo Baxendale being the guy who invented the Bash Street Kids and uh, Minnie the Minks Ooh. and Little Plum and all these other things. And when... Um, because DC Thompson, who printed the Beano, would not never let any of their artists sign their work, right? So right. the only one they ever let was Dudley D. Watkins, who did Desperate Dan uh, and all those early strips. He was allowed to sign Dudley D. Watkins at the end. And Baxendale was like, hang on a minute, because he knew the Beano was effectively bankrolling itself on Davy Laws, Dennis the Menace, and his bash the Bash Street Kids were massive. So uh, the Daily Mirror group, as it was then, who ran Oddams, they gave him the opportunity to draw his, his whole comic himself. And so he did his thing called The Tiddlers, which was a rip-off of the Bash Street Kids. And there's a great sort of, like, you know, Beatles rip-off in here called The Wax. W-A-C-K-S. Uh, uh, but of real note, I suppose, from a cultural point of view, is the the contributions Ken Reed, another... All these artists were Scottish, Leo Baxendale wasn't, but a lot of these DC Thompson artists were Scottish because they were based in Dundee, obviously. But Ken Reed uh, contributed Frankenstein, which continued throughout many, many comics. But interestingly, the, the sort of... One of the minor characters in one of the strips was called Grimly Fiendish. Now, Grimly Fiendish crops up again and again and again. Um, the Damned did a song called Grimly Fiendish. And the character of Gru in Despicable Me, you ever heard of that? An American film. Dear. I have. Oh, I've been made to watch it by my children many I times. quite like it. I'm just trying to find him right now. Uh, Grimly Fiendish, where is he? I'm not going to find him now, am I? But Grimly uh, Fiendish is what they ripped off for Gru in that film. Uh, I okay. Think, I think Grimly might have. You see, I have. 
we have many WAM annuals, annuals here. Yes, we have, oh, we have we the do. 68, which came today. Uh, the 71 yeah. final one for all you WAM fans. 1970, I don't have 69. <laughs> dear um unfortunately 67 and uh, the thing that started it all 66 and uh in there do you see grimly oh yes i do yeah so you see the similarity with Gru. yeah there is a similarity there isn't there so and he had is these that, is little... that the fir- sorry is that the first annual 66 yeah 66 is the first one um but um yeah, I think that again, there's the, the, the sixty. I can't imagine what it must have been like in terms of sort of you know, not only the the cultural fur on offer in sixty seven. When you see something like that, no one even knows Whamco. They know all the Beanos and Dandies and all this other stuff. Um, and they may have heard of Leo Baxendale. He did a thing called Sweeney Toddler, which was quite. Um, but there's that big overlap though with the um, Tim Quinn and Dickie Howitt, isn't there? The the Doctor Who little strip the three panel strip um because tim quinn um worked with leo baxendale at the beano um ah right so there's all these sort of institutions that we we need to conserve don't we and that's why we need to talk about them i think so yeah we absolutely do it's See that that is the thing, I suppose, because obviously, yes, the footballing is taking place as we speak. Footballing, yeah. I I can't get excited about it because I'm not doing anything towards it. <laughs> but this goes sense? back to why you won't go to the theatre. Yeah, I'm not going well, unless I'm on the stage, mammy. Well, I, and I frequently said, even if I wasn't this, I wouldn't go and see it. <laughs> I'm quite happy to say. I but, think that, but I, I, for, I think uh, it'll be good for the on. country if they get through and they win and all that. Why? Uh, because people seem to like it, dear. For an hour or two, yes. Have you seen that episode of the IT crowd? I don't know the characters' names, but no, well, that's the, too modern. Well, there's no. the lad with the glasses, and he makes him the Irish fella makes him go to um, a football match, and he's just like that. And he's like that, thank God for that. And at half time and stands up and he's like, where are you going? It's only halfway through. And he's like that, no. He's like, I can't do any more of this. And he's like no. that. So he says, why, how long do you think a football match lasts? A hundred million years. <laughs> <laughs> Which is you. It absolutely is me. I mean, I, you know, I've never had any a great relationship with any sport. In fact, but what I'm probably most proud of from my school days is on a report that I got when I was thirteen or fourteen, signed off by uh, Mr. Harkness, Joey <laughs> Harkness, the PE teacher, who hated me, but <laughs> absolutely hated. Not in a kind of oh, he's a bit shit. He knew that I was out to cause him oh mental harm. Um, so it wasn't that I wouldn't involve myself. I had to make damn sure he knew I wouldn't involve myself. And this led to my report, which for PE simply said one thing. Paul does his best to appear to do nothing. <laughs> I'd have oh, that on posters if I was you. Absolutely. I completely... Yes, that's about right. You know, you've noticed. Good, I'm glad. I used to get put in goal. Yes. Ah, I used to get put in goal. I used to choose to go into goal if I had to. Well, of course. But then, uh, something to lean against. There's no way I was running around, dear. I'd just fake an asthma attack. Well, one year... Oh. I do... (laughs) 
I do recall one year when I was desperately trying to get out of a sporting event, and I did used to have hay fever quite badly. Yeah. So, you know when you uh, get grass with the seed on the end, and you do that up it, and you can collect the grass yes. seed off it? So I did that for about... Oh, must have been ten minutes of collecting it, and had a right handful. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, off we go. Eyes open for as long as you can. Oh, straight over the Fucking eyes. Fucking hell. Instant massive allergic reaction. I... I lost my sight for for about an hour. It was like, oh no, didn't mean to go blind. That oh, wasn't <laughs> oh, that was a shock. Got out of got out of the afternoon though, but spent the whole time lying down in the school office, going, I can't see anything. Remation. Uh, possibly went a bit far on that. But you know. I remember. <laughs> With games, it was just like, I am not going to do this. And it was mainly because, being a fat lad, as soon as you got changed in that changing room, it was just like, all the lads were on you, you know what I mean? Because, because I, you know, I, I was, wasn't like the other boys. Um, <laughs> and so being a fat lad, it was kind of like, you know, the, the sort of, the manneries. Um, <laughs> you, you know, um and so kids are just like that, you know what I mean? It's just, it's merciless. I mean, nowadays, fat kids are ten a toffee penny, aren't they? But back then, there was oh, yeah. only me. So right. I just got the whole... No. So there was no way I was getting me tits out in that in that changing room. No way. But Mr. Gannon wouldn't have it. Mr. Gannon was a, a dead ringer for Mr. Baxter as well. Oh. Now, the thing <laughs> is about this teacher, I don't know if you had this, but Mr. Gannon, we had him for history... And we had him for PE, right? Yes. History, Mr. Yes. Gannon, was ace, right? Uh -huh. He was brill. PE, Mr. Gannon, bastard. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah. Because I like when it came to the When it came to the history side, was he particularly excited about the battles, or did he go for the No, I'll tell history? you what was good about him. He hmm. said to me, because... Uh, we ended up going round his house, madly enough, because what, where I grew up, with all the farmers' fields round about near me, all the farmers' fields were if, were were churning up Victorian dumps. Right, they were all midden dumps. Do you know what a midden is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what a midden is, listening, it's a Victorian. They didn't have dustbins. They used to have <laughs> just like. A brick building in the background, back garden, they chucked all the crap in, effectively, and men used to come round and empty it. Um, and so it was a midden dump, and so you'd walk across farmers' fields where I grew up, and it would be littered with old bottles and old stuff like that, you know. Um, now, he lived right in the middle of this area, so for some reason, I can't remember what came first, either going to his house or taking the bottles in school, wherever it is. Anyway, I remember in one history class, I, I had these little, I've still got them, well, they're downstairs, um... You know, ink bottles, those lovely old ink bottles that you see. Some are like cottages yes. and some are octagons and some are, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're all blown glass. Um, so they've all got like raggedy tops because they're blown and snapped off. Hmm. So I took these bottles in and I'm showing him. And this is what stuck with me, this. He said to me, he said, this is history, looking at the bottle. He said, it's not what Lord Snooty did or what Lady Muck did. He said, this is history, you know, holding it in his hand. So for my money, he was a decent... He was great in history, but in PE, he'd sort of zip up that tracksuit top and he was an arsehole. Mm. Interesting. I wonder if that's something you had to do to get the job, is basically be a bit of an arsehole. I mean, I'm yet to hear 
of uh, a PE teacher, especially from when you and I were at school. Oh, God, I'm yeah. yet to hear of one who wasn't a sociopath. All of them. All of them. Oh. Yes, I mean, I think so. they were all bastards, weren't they? Oh, yeah. PE teachers. They, I mean, there's so much a trope it is that um, uh, Jack, what's his name, that comedian, from years ago, not now. D. Jack um, D. Uh, yeah. He Jack played D. a great games teacher in the Grimleys. That rings a bell. Now, did you watch the Grimleys? Yes, but I can't remember a damn thing. Noddy Holder. Yes. Or N- Noddy Oddler, as my mum used to call him. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was the headmaster, wasn't he, Mister? Wasn't he Mister Holder? In it, you see. I'm not sure now. I'm. Mm. This is your prime year years for being smashed out of your mind, isn't it? When was this? Mid nineties. Forget it. Exactly. You did. Absolutely. <laughs> I did. Absolutely. I, I'm always reminded of that lovely story in uh, Jeffrey Bernard, um, where he wants to put a, an advert uh, in the Daily Mirror, and he contacts Mike Malloy, the editor of the Daily Mirror, <laughs> to see if he can put an advert in there, because he wants to write his, uh, his biography, and it's to ask if anybody can tell him what he was doing between 1965 <laughs> and 1978, because he has no memory. I'm very much like that, from about mid-1992 to about oh, yeah. 2001. I saw these on ITV3 as repeats, but um, right. the rest of the story, when he rings up the Daily Mirror editor, doesn't he say, I remember what you were doing one afternoon in 1969. What was it? You rang up my mother and told her you were going to kill her only son. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That was it, yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff Bernard as well, I mean... Tom Baker tells that great story about Jeff Bernard, doesn't he? He was sat next to him in the specialist's office when he said, now then, Mr. Bernard, unless you stop drinking your vodka, we're going to have to amputate both your legs. And Tom Baker said, he said, Jeff sat there and he just looked the doctor in the eye and said, not me vodka, doc. Not me vodka. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's why Jeff ends up with bugger all, doesn't he? He ends up with no legs at the end. Yeah, he does, he does. Wonderful. Oh, man, Jeff Bernard. There's a lovely article which is online somewhere from about 1989, 90, maybe late. It may be late. It might have been 99, where he talks about Soho being destroyed then. I mean, what would he have made Mm. of it now? Oh, yeah, and he refers to... There's that lovely way he refers to being embraced by Soho, by her her open arms and legs. Yeah. It's just... Oh, it, it's beautiful writing, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. There was um, something... And I am I am having a Google. I'm going to admit that Ooh. right now. I'm having a little Google right, just dear. out of shot. Um, because there was something that always fascinated me with Jeff Bernard. And it was the fact that he wrote a screenplay. And it was about a journalist um, who was basically Jeffrey Bernard. He wrote his own story right. as a screenplay for what would have been presumably um, a, a Screen 2 production or something like that. But do you know what? I can't find. Must be in, in the um, in the McCann book. I'll have to have a look through there. But I always thought that would be a lovely thing to see, to actually see Soho and journalism. Yeah. At that 60s, 70s, peak of excess, yeah. written by Jeffrey yeah. Bernard. Is it Graham dialogue. Lord, that book? Sorry, it's Graham Lord, isn't it? Just the one. 
Yes, just the one. Oh, that's it. Yeah. God, that book. It's a wonderful book. It is. I believe Absolutely there's something wonderful. just come out called Tales from the Colony Rooms. Is that right? There is. I've seen that advertised. I haven't got to it yet. I can't remember why. I think I may have looked at it and gone, £25? Yeah, it's dear, Absolute. isn't it? We'll wait for the paperback on that one, dear. Yes. Um, so it could uh, have been Muriel Belcher, the, just the name of Muriel Belcher is just... It's too good to be true, isn't it? It's wonderful, isn't it? That that wonderful... Yeah, where she, she'd call everybody cunty if she liked Yeah. It. Yeah, it reminds me of a story Rodney told me, Rodney Slater, uh, Bonzo's Rodney, um, when uh, we were in the pill, have I told you this on here? If I've told this story on here, just stop me. I forget whatever we've talked about on here. Uh, but in the Pillars of Hercules, um, which which we all know in Soho, um, and that's where they all used to go when they were at St. Martin's College. They all used to drink in there. And he said it was run by two ex-screws from Parkhurst's. It's just all of this is marvelous, but the whole of the college, St Martin's College, um, were barred from going in there because a girl, uh, a St Martin's student called Marsha Trinder, which is a brilliant, another name. That's a wonderful name. Um, did such a ferociously loud belch <laughs> in this bar that they they banned everyone out of there. <laughs> Good. I just That's love lovely. the fact that it was a girl who did it. Yeah. She's my kind oh. of woman, mate. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, Marsha Trinder. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, Soho now has got this whole development they're doing, aren't they? The the redoing Denmark Street's probably done now, to be quite honest. Well, I think for me, well, I I started I started going down to the coach in what, 96. Um because late 96, when I started working on and off in London before doing a lovely stint there. And so I spent a fair bit of time in the coach. And there's, uh, there's a table that's always quite near the entrance to the bogs. little round table near the bar. And I would sit there, and that's where I would write all of these things for live TV to try and keep them on it. Now, you see, all the young um, people listening in here now would just... They... They're just imagining, aren't they, the sort of windswept walks you took and, and your scarf... Tra- I am, anyway. And the scarf yeah. in the breeze. and the so It's very yeah. romantic, the, the, the uh, thumbnail you're painting here. Absolutely, but it's not true at all, of course, because when I was trying to churn out, what, five episodes of Agony a week, all of which had to be written... Um, and I found the best way to do it, sit in the coach, get your head down and do it. And so I've such happy memories of there. And then the last time I went, it's gone a little different, hasn't it? It's, yes. Yes, it's it has. It's gone a little bit hummusy and vegany. Hummusy and vegany, but I, it hasn't been the same since the smoking ban, I don't think. No. It's a very different vibe in there. I think that the smoking ban has destroyed... And, and God, I mean, we're going even further on from that now. They're, they're even banning smoking in, in gardens, aren't they, now? Uh, in pub gardens. But uh, I'd mm. say the smoking ban is what's... There's a great book called The Local. Have you seen that, which is all sketches of pubs in the 30s no. and 40s? And then he did another book called Back to the Local After World War Two, which mm. sort of... Uh, catalogued how many of these pubs had been destroyed um it's a fantastic book and the drawings the depictions of some of the the people who frequented these pubs 
are just brilliant. The local, it's called, and then back to the local. I'm tempted to Google it, but I shan't. Okay, I think uh, we are missing that, really, aren't we? I think that that idea of having a local is the amount of pubs that are closing now. It's it's so difficult to have that sense of a community pub, a pub that is there as the as the center point yeah. for the community. It's why it's why whenever you are coming up with a soap opera, the first thing that you say is where do they meet, where do they drink, yeah. where do they congregate. It's always yeah. the pub. It's the Rovers, the Queen Vic, the yeah. It's the bar in Crossroads. It's it's always got that sort of little hub. And it's so sad, of course, that now we we don't have pubs. We've got we obviously we've had eateries coming in for years, but now we're getting sort of they're splitting off into branches yeah. amongst themselves. And suddenly you do have the idea of the coach being basically a vegan um, craft ale place, yeah. which is fine, which is fine because the way I think of it is just a ghost now, I suppose. Yeah. Which which hurts my feelings, but I think that's just because it says you're probably getting a bit old now. Well, what me. we're we missing now of. are those. What did they used to call them? Vertical. I can't think. Is it something like vertical drinking parlors? I can't think what they used to call them. But effectively, places where mainly men used to go along to and just, you know, it was a case of how quickly can I reach oblivion, and those mm. places are gone. Now, they're not socially yeah. acceptable, they're this, they're that, you know, but it, it's kind of, I think that whether we like it or not, that is a great cornerstone of the British character, the pub, the place where we mm. go. And we're not Americans. We don't just go, hey, we're going to have two beers uh, or two beer, as they say in no. Canada. Hey, we two went beer. out last night, we had two beer. It's like, well, fuck you. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, what, what, let's deal with the whole plural singular thing first. What's going on, please? I don't know. Canadians, dear, they talk. Won't funny. have it. No, no, Won't no. Have it. But <clears throat> you see, for me, I used to operate a sort of a dozen minimum policy when it came to beer. You know what I mean? Hmm. And I'd go out. I remember. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. And I would go out and I'd have to. It was a case of throw it down your neck as quickly as possible in order to reach equilibrium. And then it was just like, right, I am now at room temperature. All my bullshit is outside. And, and therefore, I'm ready to listen to your bullshit. And, and mm. <clears throat> as that, I, I think that our character is missing this trading of bullshit that goes on in pubs. Because mm. I, I, you know what it's like. I mean, this is probably me I'm talking about here. But every bloke has got a mate of theirs whom the wife, partner, girlfriend, whatever says, every time you're with him, you act like a dickhead. Right? Yes. So, so you know, you need you need someone to go and act like a dickhead with. Mm. And, and you absolutely do. When you go into places, I remember going into a Weatherspoons at one time, and I'm trying to order at the bar, and there's me and my mate at the bar just like, hey, being usual. And this... Mm. this you know, bartender, whatever you call them these days, um, in a non-gender specific way, she leaned across the bar and she said, uh, uh, excuse me, this is a food pub. Would you curb your language? And it's just like, oh, oh no. I remember we were in a pub mm. called the Helter Skelter in Frodsham. This was, mm. this was 11 a.m. We were on the step when they opened one Saturday morning. This is how, you know how it is. So we got in there. And after about an hour, we were asked to leave because we were too loud. Because it was me and John Hayes. And when me and John Hayes are drinking, <laughs> okay. we get louder and louder. And the louder he gets, the louder I get. So it's like, right, yeah. okay. So then we went to the Ringer Bells in Frodsham up the hill, though. We went to another pub there. After about half an hour, uh, look, 
could you go and sit in the garden? You're too loud. And then about half an hour after that, the landlady came out to say they'd had a phone call from the neighbours to say (laughs) that whoever is in your garden, will you tell them to shut up? Mm. Now, would that have happened 50, 60, 70 years ago? I think what you would have got years ago is a mouthful of abuse and put Oof. firmly in your place. And and, oh, yes. and you know what, dear boy? I think that putting young men firmly in their place is something that this society is needing. <laughs> we don't do it anymore, do we? No, we let them run amok. We do. We absolutely do. I, I used to do that, certainly with... Um... There was an Irish pub in the centre of Liverpool on Slater Street. I think it was called Guinan's. Um, And it was there for about five years. And that became a a haunt. Summer of 94, I remember. That used to be in in at 11 in the morning. And then just doing the Irish pubs around there and then Hanover Street. But I do remember one time when possibly we did go a little bit far. Because (laughs) we got into Guinan's and it must have been... 11, it would have been 11 o'clock in the morning. Doors open, in we go. And I think, if memory serves, I would have been drinking Worthington at the time. I was very keen on Worthington. It sat nicely. Right. It felt heavy enough. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't cause too much damage too quickly. But for some reason on this day, it did. And at about half past one, I remember staggering out of Slater Street onto Bold Street. And if anybody listening doesn't know what Bold Street is like, have a Google, Bold Street, Liverpool. It's quite busy during the day. And literally crawling down the centre of Bold Street, hands and knees, (laughs) just just totally arseholed. And this is middle of the afternoon. Totally arseholed on Worthington. Very happily so, two of us just crawling like dogs. It was great. I, you I, don't get that now. No, you don't. That's what I'm saying. Because last time, last time, about a week and a half ago, I was walking down Bold Street after work, and there's uh, there's a pack of orange-faced girls coming towards me. Mm. Oh, come on, but there's also uh, there's all well just just day out by the just looks. Being of it. But there's also two more young people behind me who were being loud, and suddenly I realised they were being loud at each other from. Fore and aft. Oh, no, we don't like this. So I sort of sidestepped out the way. And immediately, they just started fighting each other. This orange orange girl just straight past me to the girl who had been behind me. Wallop! Straight across the... Wow. You see, violence played no part in any of my escapades. No. I'm sure it was going on somewhere. I was that shit-faced. I didn't know. I probably caused it all. But uh, he said, you you know, but I've no idea. I've no idea. I don't... All it was was, like you say, hands and knees. Um, I used to love that that coming out into the daylight thing out of pubs. Mm. There's some great pubs in Liverpool for that, isn't there? There's the dispensary, which is on Renshaw... Not Renshaw. Is it Renshaw Street? Yeah, it's on Renshaw. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, On Renshaw Street and the Roscoe. Which is mm. on um, Roscoe Road, probably. I don't know what it is. But you mm. go into these old boozers like that. Do you remember the big house, the grapes, with the two oh. columns? Yes. Now, that is some of that. But that back room in there with the big painting and the wood panelling. and Oh, absolutely stunning. You could go in there and lose a century. Absolutely. Instantly. And when you came out, you'd only lost about three or four hours. Yeah. But nevertheless, you, you could just... 
you could become involved in a whole different world. I mean, certain pubs have their own little, almost like an ecosystem yeah. of, of people yeah. and sounds and smells <clears throat> all mingled together. And that's one of those pubs. And I miss that. <clears throat> the fact that now we do have eateries and you oh. go in there and you feel like, oh, I, I've just stopped for a quick pint. Now I'll go again yeah. because people want to sit down and eat their calamari. Yeah, that You don't have... Sadly, you d- you don't have that with pubs anymore, and I, and I, I we're missing something so absolutely so crucial, so absolutely. Crucial. I mean, if you go, do you, do you ever do any of those crawls around the business part, the business district in Liverpool? You'd no. kind of start off on <coughs> um, Rigby's on Dale Street. You know Rigby's. No, I don't. Oh. Right, well, Rigby's is really old, and it's got an old. It's it's got you know the courtyard at the back. So right. you've got the Lady of Man on one side and you've got Rigby's on the other and you've got a courtyard in the middle where both pubs intermingle, which must be a nightmare for glass collectors, but hey. Uh, but it's it's an old sort of 17th century coach, you know, because it's got the arch, you know, where you'd have brought the coach and horses in. Uh-huh. But if you go... Do you know it now? I do. I do yes, know it. Yes, of course I do. you do. I do. Now, that's one of them yeah. pubs... <clears throat> where, you know, it's like Pomeroy's Wine Bar in, Rub- in Rumpole, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like one of those pubs now. They never used to do food. I'm sure they do now. Um, but if you go deeper into the business district, there's one called the Old Croc. Have you ever been in there? Never been in that one, no. So the Old Croc is very much like one called Conroy's in Dublin. Um, insofar as the, the, it's all, like the wooden floors are like this. You know, they're that old. And the... And the the kind of overmantly bit behind the bar, you know, the mirrored bit with all the bottles and stuff. <clears throat> These things look as though they're falling apart, but the people in there look as old as the furniture. And that's what I love. If the old croc's still going, which it won't be, it'll be the new croc now. You know what I mean? And it'll be all, <laughs> and all the other crap, won't it? But if you'd have gone in there when I, we used to, mate, you, you would have loved it. Talk about going back in time. There was a guy at the bar with a nose, a red nose that looked like it was going to explode any moment. You know, one of those chaps. Mm. Who they look at you with sort of deep suspicion when you walk in, don't they? Oh, they do. It's that American werewolf in London moment. Yeah. Everyone turning around. But you are a part of it within minutes. Yes. So long as you don't go in and order a fucking coffee. No. Well, why why would one do this? I don't know. People seem to roam the streets these days in desperate need of a cup of Nescafe. I see them well, all no, the time. Well, no, no, Michael, no, they don't. This is the problem. They don't do that at all, do they? What they do is they wander the streets all upset because they can't get a decaf soya caramel latte. Yes. <clears throat> if I want a coffee, indeed, I do want Nescafe. Yes. Okay? If, it, if I want a special coffee, I want the gold blend. Well, but I'm of not going to ask for... Something that's been shat out no. a yak twice before. I'm no, not no, no, no. having it. And that, no, absolutely. So we're, I, I, I can't do uh, Cafe None Nero and all that. None, None of, of it. it. Because, how, because how, what do I say if I just want a coffee? Oh, I wouldn't know. I don't think I mean, they'd I've, know. Well, somebody told me I should ask for an Americano <clears throat> with milk. I you can imagine out. why that... <laughs> You can imagine why I was... No! Absolutely not. How dare you? Yeah. No, can't do it. Well, I would say that um, 
if people are still listening to this long uh, sort of the laments of two old piss heads chat <coughs> pubs are in nice things they are and and coffee shops unless they're in Amsterdam are not are not it's te- it's telling isn't it that when you know <coughs> bloody hell when um life on mars stroke um ashes to ashes came to an end it's mm. telling that heaven was a pub and hell was an office <laughs> <laughs> with the great Daniel Mays as the devil. Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. It's and I think that's absolutely true, isn't it? The the, the pubs. Uh, is there a cut-off time for pubs? I mean, we 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 generally set 1992 as being the cut-off for nice things. Is that pubs or is pubs <clears throat> the smoking ban, do you think? Cuz I'd say I the smoking think, ban. Yeah, I think the problem with the smoking ban aside from the social side and suddenly you've got people having to congregate outside is all of a sudden you lose that smell. And you can smell the toilets. Hiding a multitude of sins, hasn't yeah. it? For, for hundreds of years. Yes. And suddenly everything smells of piss. Yes. Everything. I also think it's supplanted in the mind of the nation this notion that <clears throat> their health is your responsibility. Mm. You know, and, yeah. and, and look where we are now. With that, it's, it's 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 sort of got people at each other's throats about all of this stuff. Whereby in the old days it used to be, um, right? Okay, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should do that. But now everyone's been given carte blanche to blame other people, haven't they? Mm, no, yes. it's because you won't wear a mask that I'm. And it's just it's it's the root of it is the smoking ban. Personal responsibility is a thing that. I always thought was I felt good about having personal. I still feel good about having personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I would prefer it. Yeah. <clears throat> As an adult, I I think yeah I I'm allowed to <clears throat> I'm allowed to take responsibility for myself and and yeah that should be the the case surely. Yeah. Um, I do I do have a theory, uh, about something that you've just said there. Um, but let me just put this to you, okay? As uh, before, of course, I was talking about Moonbase 3 and how, had I have been in the position of BBC One controller in 1973, which I should have been. Well, of course you should have been, dear boy. Wouldn't have been alive, but should have had the job anyway. But if you were in that position, and last week you mentioned about how betrayed you felt when Grade sacked Colin Baker, Mm. of course. Are there any shows which may have been prematurely axed or anything like that, where you think, if I'd have been in charge, that would have kept running. Ooh, nice Sieg, by the way, dear. That was very Thank that you. was very professionally done. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that were axed. Mm. I don't know if I'd have been aware of things that were axed when I was a kid. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Wurzel Gummidge. Right. Wurzel Gummidge. So I suppose this comes under the umbrella of things we lost when the uh, independent television network was deregulated and franchises were lost. Yeah, the franchise changeover at the end of 81. Yeah. So that was Southern, wasn't it? Southern went. Southern went, yes. And that meant that you lost out of town. And ATV. So you lost... And we lost Runaround, which is... Runaround is is now probably my... that's Southern. Did that continue that long? Is that still it going? It did. That then? went seventy-five to eighty-one. Because of course, now talking I pictures heard a rumor repeating it. when I was yeah. a kid 
as you do when you're a kid. Now, I only ever remember it with Mike Reed, right? Mm. Now, someone told me when I was a kid, and I think I have done a Google for this and I've found no evidence of it, that Stan Boardman did it once upon a time. He did. Right. Um, the way it, it started with Leslie Crowther, then oh, it went it? to Boardman. It did, and then it oh, went right. to Boardman, and then it went to Mike Reed. But there's no uh, no surviving episodes from right. Crowther. I think Crowther did two years, Boardman did one or so. Then we get into Mike Reed around about 78, something like that. And a lot of those still exist. And they're a joy because there is no one less suited to a children's TV game show <laughs> than Mike Reed, who is just so angry. All the time. <laughs> Always on the verge of saying something horrendously racist. He gets the questions wrong. He gets the games wrong. And if the kids are being too noisy, he threatens them. <laughs> he just threatens them. And he's always just, at the start of one of them, he just walks on, not looking very happy. And he says, all right, kids, first things first. I've got a headache. Uncle Mike's got a headache. Shush. <laughs> on with the show. <laughs> now this That's is That's the introduction. No, that is it. Again, this comes back to my point about having these these sort of curmudgeon the old blokes, right? Yes. And uh, 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 that we used to anchor TV shows around, be they Frank or be they uh-huh. might read. I mean, they're completely different characters, but we always had that kind of character um, in our TV, in our entertainment world. We don't have that We now. did. Gary Lineker would not tell Rio Ferdinand to shush because he had a headache. No, sadly not. And no, you, but you need that. You need. You it. do. Um, you need my. I, I mean, yeah, run around. Yeah. I loved. <clears throat> were the prizes dead good on it? The prizes were were interesting. Well, you get to you got to choose whatever you want um, from this massive pile of prizes. Yeah, and. Some weeks there were stunning things. There was always a colour television set, which everybody always wanted. But but they were so big and so heavy that Mike Reed had just taken off the pile, pass it to this child who would always, every week, almost immediately drop it. Lovely. <laughs> every week, same thing. And then he's going, oh, I got it. And then, and then he never rounds the show off properly. He never says, see you next week, I'm running around. He just goes, you all right? Something like that. He just shouts as though someone said, we're winding up now. Yeah, all right. And off go the credits. And Mike Reed just... recorded a fantastic version, as you as you turned me on to, of, uh, as he called Present it... Colon, Present colon Nixonine Chuzo, of course, but and originally Mike... by Adriano Salentano in 72. And uh, but... Adriano Salentano, who features in Reasons to be Cheerful, doesn't he? Oh. Ian Jury, A.D. Salentano. Um, oh, he's in the what is he called? Uh, something like flexible hips or something in Italy. It's it's much snazzier in Italian, whatever they call him. Um, it is. Um, for anyone who, who's not seen uh, the video, there's two videos, aren't there, that yeah. he made for uh, Prison Call and Eighty Nine Chuzo. It's a fascinating thing. There's actually more. The, uh, have you seen the? Oh. Have you watched the evolution of it? So you've no, got I that wonderful yet. one. That first one, haven't you, from about... Is it 72 or something? It's in black and white. Mm. With those really coordinated, almost sort of fascistic dancers. It's like watching a North Korean military parade, isn't it? Yeah. But with mirrors everywhere. So it looks like there's thousands of them. And in the middle of it, him dressed as a tramp. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, So, uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know, Paul, please say that song title again. 
It's called Prison Cola Nineteen Chuzo, and the idea behind it is the 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 words make no sense. Being sung by Adriano Salentano, this Italian chap, the words make no <laughs> sense, but they sound as though they're in English. So what you've got here is how English sounds to an Italian person who can't speak English, yeah. and then he's singing in it. I and don't know just... how the hell he remembers the words. And and what's great about it, our English sounds to Italians, is the fact mm. that they've got. He's got. You know, it's vaguely the gibberish is vaguely okay. I can see how that sounds like like Mike Reed takes freezing cold in eighty nine two so or whatever, and he takes mm. it freezing cold in eighty nine two so. Um, yes. So there are, but the meters all wrong, which makes mm. it super interesting because it's it's an Italian rhythm. Put to sort of English soundy things. It is interesting, isn't it? The the rhythm of the original as well. It's got this occasional sort of slightly offbeat syncopation it's a that weird catches one. you off guard. I've, I've listened it to is. that backing track a lot, and it's a it's just a bass drum and mm. a closing hi hat, but very but, echoed. But it sounds like what you've got is someone just playing the frets on the guitar as well to create that that. It's wh- just wh- a drone, wh- isn't it? Sort of, yeah. And but then in the background, you've got that wheelie going on, and it's yes, it's a very yeah. interesting piece of music. He's a very interesting man, Adriano Salentano, who worked a lot mm. with Dario Fo. So I mean, he's mm. one. He's a nice thing. Um, and and what you get nice in Italy, thing. isn't it? You get a lot of crossover between politics and entertainment, which we hear we have entertainers here who are like, oh, who know? They they won't go near mm. politics because they're terrified of saying the wrong thing. But the Italians, not so. So the evolution no. of that routine, you've got that first one, the black and white one, and then you've got one mm. a few years later, which he's a school teacher in a classroom. You seen that one? That's right. Yeah. And his yeah. wife, who's just a beautiful. Italian film star. I can't think of her name. I mean, they were the golden couple in Italy. And I can't mm. think of her name. Do you know her name? Uh, it's Carla something. Carla Raffaello springs to mind. I'm going to check that. I thought it was Maya or something Maya. Anyway, don't matter. I can't well, I'll remember. tell you what. I am going to check that because this was... could be uh, the person in the original version. No, it's not. Um, the blonde girl. Yeah. No, she's a she's an Italian dancer. The the ah, is, in that case is... she died this week. Oh, did she? Oh, man. she did by by chance. She died this week. Um. Well, his wife is in the first one in the in the classroom. She's got long black hair, and she mm. does her bit from the record. Um, but that then sets forward a template of them doing it as him as a school teacher trying to keep a class mm. under control. And there's one from the eighties. Have you seen that one? Which no. is a bad parody of of what's gone before it's terrible it's terrible right um but how he remembers the lyrics impresses me because it is gibberish mm. it's it's nonsense isn't it what he's doing but i suppose well i mean having done a spot of shakespeare before i mean i would say that i understood probably about 70 percent of what i was saying the rest yes. of it was just was just enjoying the feeling of the sounds coming out yes. of your mouth and forming them so that you could say thick rotundity of the earth and not think what the hell it meant because it just because just saying thick rotundity feels yeah. nice you know it yeah. just makes you puff oh, up his language is beautiful so, i mean shakespeare is a, definitely a nice thing very nice as thing. is adriano very salentano nice. absolutely anybody who plays with language that reminds me um yeah because when i encountered prison cola and Chuzo for the first time it was because um, lovely Stephen Fry talked about it, and he said it's now established that that is the first rap record ever. Yeah, I can believe that. 
which is stunning to think that rap comes out of Italy with a man basically singing something that sounds a bit like Elvis Presley lyrics, but isn't. Yeah. I, I love that fact. That's a nice thing, the fact that it came from that. There's, uh, there's the the first verse is punctuated by him saying, there's one that goes, all right. Oh, I know the yeah. bit I love. I know the mm. bit I really love is the, bring, that bit where he does that. Yes. It's brilliant, that. Yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. Wonderful. That is my favourite bit of it. But I remember you, I, I, I sort of, we found it differently. I mean, it was doing the rounds, wasn't it, on Twitter about a it year was, ago yeah. or something. So that's yeah. where I found it. And I remember you putting it on in um, work, and I just remember you sat in the chair, and your little ass was going. It was just like, wow, mm. if this, this, this is music that should not move the Carmichael. The Carmichael should, should it, not. But there is so much to it, isn't there? There's yeah. so much to it. There's the language. There's the unremitting relentlessness of that noise, that bass drone, which I love yeah. that drone. You put all those things together, but then you put it with either the camp of the performance in front of an audience as though he's in a schoolroom, or the full-on Orwellian dance routine that you yeah. get in the black and white. I prefer, I love the black and white version. Oh, the black and white to, one's stunning. I would love to stage that live. That would be... Quite yeah, a challenge, well, there's 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 but... a few joins in it, isn't there? Because it's kind of like mm. I've thought to myself a few times because it's obvious it's from some kind of Saturday night entertainment show. Uh, yeah, yeah, and there are. Like, there's a couple couple of edits. Yeah, there's, so there's just a couple of edits because at the end of it, she's knackered, isn't she? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she absolutely is. She has been giving it beans, but I mean. As someone who can't dance, unless you count those five years in the 90s when I used to just stay up all night, like, dancing in clubs. Um, yeah. I can't dance whatsoever. And when you watch that kind of syncopation and that kind of cho- choreography, it's it's spine-tingling, I think is mm, the phrase, it is. isn't it's, it? It's beautiful stuff. It's lovely stuff. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, listen, we should, we should just say briefly, how, how long have we been going on, dear? I'm unsure, dear. I don't know. I was just thinking, uh, don't you have a little review to do? Well, there is a little review, of course. Now, now this is a rather nice thing. Uh, Incidentally, uh, over on the Twitter, where we're very active, uh, at, are we at Nice Things Show? That's correct, yes. Yes. So uh, we've had some lovely suggestions from uh, viewers and listeners as to things we could review. And one of those things is, of course, uh, Survivors, which you and I have uh, talked about. I adore Um, it. Many. I love Survivors. Um, And we were going to talk about it this week uh, a little, which was for Jason, Jason Erz, who was at the time bubble. I think we wouldn't be doing it a service if we spoke about it now. I think we will start with that next week. Because you said, well, it may take a little longer. I watched the first three episodes yesterday. In fact, I watched the first four. I watched up until Corn Dolly. And I thought, and I started making a little list little list of nice things about survivors well i've got a page and a half after four episodes so now i'm gonna cherry pick i don't know about you it's just it's just such an impossibly good it's it's stunningly good i mean you know for any series that has the bollocks to kill peter bowles off in the first episode you know that's wonderful i mean main guest star dead that pulls you that pulls the rug from under the viewer's legs in 1975 right so first of all it's just like oh here's peter bowles this is all right oh he's gonna be sound there is no way anything's gonna happen to him now when you create a television world whereby you're willing to do that Mm. to the audience all bets are off that's a fantastic trick they absolutely are 
They're, it's it's so good. But like I say, a page and a half just from those first four. And that's before you get on to Morris Perry's foaming at the mouth with rabies. Yeah. So I think what we're going to ask is uh, bear with us a little on this, because if we're going to talk about survivors, uh, Jason, that needs a bit of bit of thought, really. Doesn't I it? would say it's... that if we're going to talk about survivors, it's going to be a full. That'll probably take up the whole episode. I think so. I think so. So we will. We will talk about survivors, uh, but not just yet. Bear with no. us on that one. No, no. But no. what we do have yes. is a little review. I'm I'm a big fan of folk horror, so long as it's not all about Spencer Banks masturbating. <laughs> uh, in which uh, it can be a little bit too much for me there. Um, but what um, I've watched this week, uh, and I'm just dragging up. There we are. Make sure I've got the contents right. Is this wonderful little. Uh, offering on Blu-ray and yes. it's the legend of uh, Bella in the Witch Elm. Who put Bella in the Witch Elm now, is the question. I'll, I'll tell you my yeah. the only knowledge I have of it and then you can tell me if my mm-hmm. memory's wrong or if that is remotely anything to do with this. So sure. in World War 2 they found a headless torso stuffed into a tree. Mm. Is that right? Into an elm tree. Yeah. yeah. Now straight away elm trees for me are a thing of the past because when I was growing up, Dutch elm disease was yeah all sw- it was sweeping the country. And I remember my mum used to talk about that a lot about Dutch elm disease. So elm trees to me was something that were already starting to be belong to the past when I was very little. I don't think I've seen an elm tree in God forty odd years. I don't think I don't think so. Um, so you're right. What you have here is an event in which a couple of young lads. Uh, were climbing trees and they were doing this on property they knew they shouldn't have been on uh, in 1943. So we're right in the middle of uh, World War Two here. And for some reason, one of them ends up looking into this witch elm, this big old tree that's hollow on the inside. And there, indeed, they find a body. Right. And the body's been there for a few years. Uh, some people say it's been there about two years. The film suggests maybe ten. Um, and it's all about what was the identity of this person and who put her there. <coughs> now, it's a fascinating little story, I've got to say. And um, I heard it first on uh, S- Steve Punt of Punt and Dennis, yeah. you know. Um, he did a series, and I think you'd love it. Um, it was on Radio 4. And I think you can get the whole thing as a podcast called Punt P.I., where he becomes a private investigator right. and investigates all these different things. And one of the things he investigates is who put Bella and the witch on. But the, there's about 10 episodes of Punt P.I., highly recommended. Okay. Um, but this uh, this production picks up on the idea that what you've got is um, a German spy who ended up head down in the witch elm. Right. Um, what... What it is, I I was sold instantly because of the strapline. I don't know if I can get it there. A Midlands Phantasmagoria. Ah, well, that's you instantly, isn't it? Straight away. Uh, that's me. That's absolutely yeah. me. My biggest regret in the world, I think, is the fact that they they wiped the witchcraft episodes of Crossroads when they oh, went. Really? Should we have a witchcraft storyline? Well, come on, why not? They've wiped that. Oh, Such what a shame. shame! But um, the lovely, lovely little independent film. And I think at the moment, independent films, independent music producers, all these people, they're the ones we need to support, I think, yeah. at the moment. We, we should be supporting anybody who's creating individual artistic work. What What's beautiful about it is you've got the main film, then you've got about another five versions of it as a silent film with different soundtracks. Oh. So 
it tells the story beautifully. Um, and if anyone wants to have a look at it, have a look at how it was made, uh, then the Twitter Amphazam at the the Twitter at I can't do this. The Twitter app at is at Carney Films. C A R N I E films and i i'd recommend you have a look because i love a bit of folk horror and that was a lovely thing to watch this week so well done carney films that's a nice thing you've produced there good good i'll have to uh see it myself i've um i did it's mean nicer to. than pender's fen yes oh, well yes yes well you see um i'm a big fan of pender's fen um i know i know but so why did it tick all the right boxes for you so what about it so what's for example one of the uh, biggest criticisms of independent film is mm. generally um f- shot framing lighting and editing tick 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 on those i think to be honest with you I, there were there were occasions when i would say that the sound balance was a little out of whack and we just needed to Pull the music right. down a little to get the to get the dialogue across, but in terms of how it's filmed, it it looks beautifully. It's Brilliant. beautifully framed. Um, it's that whole playing into psychogeography that I love so much. Um, it it evokes the period perfectly, and as, as of course as we know, if you try and create a period piece straight away, you're talking about spending a fortune, mm. even if that period is just 1995 that you're trying yeah. to recreate. Yeah, everything's yeah. different yeah yeah so step further and further back and we end up in the mid 1930s it's not an easy period to make look good without falling back on total stereotype yes but they've done that here on what presumably is a a, a modest budget brilliant um but it is it's beautifully shot and it makes the most of that haunted uh, haunted British sort of uh, locations that we that we have. There's one or two jump scares if you like that sort of thing. I don't. I don't like stress on television. That's why I won't watch <laughs> anything made by Netflix or Amazon because it's all about being stressed, and I don't want that. It isn't all about being stressed. There's the odd thing in there. Oh, like what? I like things like The Last Kingdom. I like that, but I like Bernard Cornwell, the author. Oh. Dragons and gnomes and no, fantasy. No, not at all. Dragons and gnomes. Uh, no, 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 no. Bernard Cornwell's a historical writer, isn't he? He did all the King Arthur books. His first success was the sharp stuff, wasn't it? Mm. Now, I know that people, you know, they don't like Sean Bean because it's just like, you know, you're greedy. It should be Sean Bourne or it should be Seen Bean. You can't have both. But he uh-uh. does. Um, and I like... The Last Kingdom. That's very good. Vikings is very good. I'm going to guess that Vikings has got quite a few battle sequences and people being butchered. Yes, yes, yes. There are a couple, but the character development Uh, is there, dear. As Peter Cook said, I don't want to have to go to the theatre to watch sex and violence. I can get plenty of that at home. I'm I'm very much of that persuasion here, I'm afraid. However, however, this... Lovely, relaxing, 45 minutes. Silent movie versions. Can't beat it. 12 quid. Yeah, grab a copy. If you want us to review anything, we've got something coming in the post. We have indeed. We've got a a new CD by Mr. Duncan Maitland coming in the post. So So, uh, we we will be having a listen to that. We shall. And we shall. We we should actually. I was thinking about this. We should focus on, on music 
a little more. Now, mm. uh, we will do that as well. So we, we're racking up the requests now. We're turning into... Turning into... Uh, no, he didn't do requests, did he, John Pale? But we're turning into no. DJs here. Uh, not those sorts. Uh, or, if I could quote you um, on your message to me earlier, are we turning into a fucking request show? That was you! <laughs> <laughs> I was quoting you back. Oh, were you? Oh, shit, yes, was that yes. me? Oh. Yes, you said to me, oh, it seems we're a fucking request show now, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and I quoted your words back to you when you put out a tweet Ugh. saying, "Oh, this is fabulous, trams." Um, <laughs> so we're letting the we're letting the boys and girls into the secrets here of the inner we workings are, yeah. of nice things. Um, it's behind the wizard's curtain, there. Just yes, a little, up the wizard's sleeve. <sighs> um, so, um, nice things. What do you have? winging its way toward you, my dear, because I I, I know that uh, as you recline at the impressive pile that is Carmichael Acres, um, yes. as you luxuriate into your summer now, I think that... Has, has your summer officially begun now? My summer has officially begun, that's it. So now Lord Carmichael is at his seat. What is winging seat. its way toward Carmichael Acres? Well, currently winging its way in the post, I believe, was a little something that I found that I had no idea existed. You remember, I'm sure, Cosgrove Hall. Do you remember their series of Wind in the Willows? Yes, very well. Beautiful uh, narration. I can still sing the ghouls and ghosts and wizards of toads from long, long ago all the way through. Wonderful. That's that that program stuck here, isn't it? It was brilliant. Do you remember the Do you remember the Christmas where they showed it on Christmas Day? The 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 full feature. 84-minute-long feature, yes. Just those voices. Ian Carmichael, Michael Harden. Peter um, Salis. Peter Salis, David Jason. And Richard Pearson. Lovely voice of Richard Pearson. Yeah. I used to love the Weasels. Were the Weasels or Stoats? They were the Weasels, yes. No, they missed the toad. Oh, wonderful. Absolutely. And anyway, but there was an album uh, where they took the soundtrack... Of two 22-minute episodes. Stuck it on an album. I had no a idea. A Wind in the Willows album. A Wind in the Willows album. Not not the soundtrack of all the songs. Two of the stories. I think, I'm, I'm going to admit here, that I saw it. I saw the cover. I went, who want? Yes. Like that instantly. Yes. So I could be totally wrong. Strangely. And it could I, be nothing. I bought a Wind in the Willows annual yesterday. Just want. Completely really? independently. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. It's... it's, it's it's wonderful. When did the Willows was wonderful. I've got the book here. I got it in the Puffin Club as a child. Oh, uh, yes. And that's up there somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, I should imagine, a jolly nice thing. I'm hoping it will be. And apparently it's a mint condition nice thing, ah. even though it's from 1984. So in the next couple of days, that should be should be here. Now, that will be thoroughly, a delight. Listen to. It will be. It will absolutely be an absolute delight. So that's that's my uh, forthcoming event. How about yourself? Um, yes, uh, I'm afraid I've been on a bit of a spree uh, this week. Mm. I've bought um, quite a few Lookin annuals. I've bought uh, Lookin Best of the Seventies uh, annual with a name that was very familiar. Who edited it? Someone Kibble White or something? Graham Kibble. Graham Graham Gra- Kibble White. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that was the name that was familiar. He edited that. And what else have I got coming in the post? More natties, I'm afraid, dear. Yes, uh, more natties. We're, we're edging nearer to the 292 magic number of a full set. Um, 
lots of things like that. I'm a, I'm an idiot and I can't stop. But that reminds me, we placed a pre-order some months ago for Oliver Tucker. Is that the author's name? All memories, great and small. We did. That can't be far off coming now. That can't be far off. Okay, so that should be on its way. Yes. Oh, look, so that's a nice thing to look for. That's a to. very and nice thing. There is one missing nice thing, isn't there, though? Go on. And that's from your little pile of annuals you showed us before, because you are you won't rest till you've got 1969, no. will you? No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no I shan't. Ooh, and no. I'm no, afraid no. I'm unhappy with... And we're back to the spines, dear. I'm, I'm unhappy, I realised earlier, as I was secreting my 1968 in my pile. I'm unhappy with this. That's not good. It's, oh, it's, no. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. 1970 no, no. deserves better than that. So we're going to have to replace that as well, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> it's never ending. So never ending. Look at that, though. Look at Baxendale, what he did there. Oh, that's wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? There are the wax. That is. They're the two yeah. wax. Ah, wonderful, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just genius. Leo Baxendale was a, was a genius. And the unfortunately named Footsie the Clown. Um, <laughs> so, um, with that, with that ringing in our ears, um, I yes. think we should let the boys and girls go now, dear, dear boy. I think so. I think we've been going on quite long enough for this Yes, video. we have. Yeah. So, we begs to look forward to, and until the next time, boys and girls, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production.